the reading today is from Matthew chapter 5, and it's verse 1 uh, to 10. That's page 968 in the Church Bibles. Now when he saw the crowns, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray as we begin. Father, thank you so much that we are able to sing of your mercy despite our great debts. And we thank you, our Father, that you speak to us in your word. And we pray, Father, as we look on that word this evening, you would speak to each one of us by your Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, if we've been a Christian any length of time, I'm sure we would have asked the question, is it worth it? Maybe when we became a Christian, there was that initial sense of excitement, everything seemed very new, or perhaps that moment we prayed the prayer on the Christian summer camp, there was that flutter of excitement. But then we quickly realize, don't we, that the Christian life is hard. The battle with sin still persists, in fact it often intensifies, and we think to ourselves, is it worth the continued fight? Or we soon discover that being a Christian doesn't do much for our kind of social credibility. A lot of us, like me, didn't have much social credibility anyway. Uh, but, you, you know, you don't get any bonus points for being a Christian. There's the confused looks, the person who withdraws from you at college as soon as you mention you went to church on Sunday. And you think to yourself, is it worth the hassle? Then, of course, there is the fact that much of the Christian life is focused towards the future. We make decisions about our resources, our time, our careers, our relationships, based on where this world is heading towards the the future realization of God's kingdom. And as we say no to a relationship, or as we make that difficult career decision, as we use our resources in light of the future, I'm sure we will ask ourselves, is the investment worth it? See, it's a question we all ask, isn't it? Is it worth it? And it's a question I think Jesus answers at the beginning of this very famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount. Now, over the next few weeks, uh, we're looking at this sermon, chapters 5 to 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount because it's on a mount, and, um, and it's a sermon, Uh, And the reason I wanted us to look at this as a church is because I think this is a great place for where we find ourselves at this moment. Uh, We are, I think, feeling like we're at the start of a new chapter. There's been a new rector, 
but we don't need to dwell on that. Uh, There's the hope of growing the staff team. Uh, And then, of course, externally, there's the post-COVID world, isn't there? Everyone's talking about uh, getting back to normal, building back better. And I thought as we do that work, what are our values? What are our priorities as a church? And as I thought about it more, I thought, actually, this is no better place to look, is there? Because here, John Stott says this, an old preacher, he says, this is the closest thing we get to a manifesto for Jesus' kingdom. And right at the start of this manifesto, Jesus invites us to come in, to listen, to show us why life in his kingdom is absolutely worth it. There are about eight or nine, depending on how you count, uh, statements here. Uh, They're called the Beatitudes, that's just Latin, apparently, uh, for blessed. Uh, Latin teachers can correct me afterwards. Uh, And um, when Jesus says blessed, it's worth just saying that that's not a kind of religious word. It's not like God bless you. It is the sense of happy, and in fact, some people translate it that way. See, to be blessed here is an evaluation of someone's status. It's to say that person has the good life. You know, you're scrolling through TikTok. Is that what you do? Scroll? Um, I'm on territory I'm unsure of here. And you see someone's life and you think they've got a good life. That's the sense here. Blessed is the person. But of course, as you read this, it's not immediately obvious, is it? Why these characteristics are blessed. I mean, why is it the poor in spirit that are blessed? Why is it those who mourn who are blessed? Why is it the peacemakers? Well, because of what Jesus shows us. It goes on to show us three things. Uh, First of all, that loss is the way of gain. Righteousness is not in vain. And because of what Jesus has obtained... See, first of all, we see here that loss is the way of gain. And it's worth just saying, these um, statements, they're not just randomly put together. In fact, there's an old preacher, Martin Lloyd-Jones, who really helpfully shows there's a bit of a structure to these. There's a bit like a a mountain structure. And so the first three, thanks, Leon, for doing this mountain. Excellent work. Uh, Exactly like a Toblerone. Um, these, uh, These first three show us Actually, a sense of humility, so poor in spirit, mourning, and being meek. See, to be poor in spirit means to know that your spiritual bank balance is very much in the red. Thanks, I think we're done with the diagram. Thank you. That you, if you hold God's righteousness up to your life, you know you need to file for bankruptcy. And to mourn, in verse 4, isn't speaking about the sort of mourning we do at a funeral. It's to mourn over our sin. It's the person who grieves their sense of isolation from their maker. They grieve how this world has strayed so far from what God intended. And to be meek means to live out that understanding in our character. See, it's one thing, isn't it, to acknowledge our failure... Uh, It's one thing to say the confession on a Sunday. That doesn't feel too difficult for me. It's another thing, isn't it, when we've got to live that out with one another. See, being meek is not being a candidate on The Apprentice, talking ourselves up. Do people still watch that? 
You know what I'm talking about. No, forget it. All right, okay, it's not like we're beefing up our Facebook profile. Do people still use Facebook? Forget it. Uh, but it's recognizing, isn't it, our failures, our dependence on God's mercy in how we come across. See, Jesus begins this sermon, quite remarkable this, isn't it? It's not the righteous. It's not the people that think they're the bee's knees who are blessed. It's those who empty themselves. Those who know they're not righteous. Those who know that they are failures who come with empty hands who are blessed. But why is that? Why are they blessed? Especially when our world tells us something very different, doesn't it? See, our world says that actually if you want to find happiness, if you want to find blessing, well, you've got to think highly of yourself. You've got to say to yourself, you're a winner. You're special. You're a star. I mean, I don't know if you've noticed this, but even my yogurt pot tells me how fantastic I am. Have you noticed this or is it just me? Read your yogurt pot next time uh, you, you tuck in because it tells you you're a star, you're, you're fantastic, you're healthy. I think this is just my yogurt telling me this. Uh, But that's kind of the way our world is, isn't it? Not being honest about our failures. Not being meek. See, being meek feels like an invitation to be a doormat for others. Everyone knows it's the achievers, the strong, the confident who win at the rat race. But Jesus' kingdom, here's the thing, works on a very different currency, doesn't it? See, those who benefit from Jesus' kingdom know they haven't got it together. They know they don't deserve it. And you see this time and time again through Matthew's gospel. It's the very people that reject Jesus are the spiritual bee's knees, the, the clergy of their day. It's the people with humility who have got nothing who lay down any claim to self-righteousness who Jesus' kingdom comes to. Maybe we need to hear that. Maybe we're here this evening and we feel the weight of our failures. We look back on the week and we think, I'm ashamed to call myself a Christian. But it's people who know that in their bones who are blessed. Or perhaps we struggle with pride. We know we don't want to take the path of pride and we We struggle to put it to death in our lives, especially when everyone around us is presenting their best side. But Jesus says, it is the meek who inherit the earth. Is it worth it? Is it worth being humble in a proud world? Well, Jesus says, yes, it is. It is the way to be blessed. But it's not just about looking inward at our own lives and shunning our personal claims to righteousness. Um, Because secondly, we see that um, the righteousness Jesus talks about here comes from somewhere else. See, secondly, we see that righteousness is not in vain. Now, righteousness is kind of a a tricky word, isn't it? It basically, um, it means to be right. That's probably, you know, pretty obvious from the word. Um, But quite often in the Bible, it's a word that describes a righteousness that isn't ours, that comes to us by grace. And so I don't know if you've ever been on a summer camp or seen the talk illustration where you swap the DVDs, oh, again, old-fashioned illustration, but you swap uh, the DVDs, and there's that sense of God's righteousness being swapped 
uh, with our unrighteousness. You can ask me in the questions afterwards if that didn't make any sense. Uh, but that's not what's being taught about here. See, the righteousness here is not God's righteousness coming to us. It is to talk of reflecting his character. And um, going back to this mountain structure, I wonder if we could have that on the screen. Um, we see there's a bit of a turning point halfway through. Because Jesus says it's not just those who empty themselves, but those who hunger and thirst for righteousness who are blessed. And you'll see this theme of righteousness. It continues right down to verse 10. So these would suggest to me that these other characteristics, like being merciful, pure in heart, and being a peacemaker, a peacemaker? peacemaker are signs of that righteousness, thirsting and hungering after it. Now, if that didn't make any sense, come back to this. It's a bit like my kids. They love to dress like mummy and daddy. If my son hates wearing a shirt, and kids often hate wearing shirts, the only thing I've got to do is wear a shirt myself, and he'll want to do it. And it's similar here. Jesus says those who are blessed are not just those who empty themselves of their pride, but seek to dress like their heavenly Father. And so he says it's those who are merciful, thanks for the diagram, that's good, who will receive mercy. See, to be merciful is to respond, not just with mercy on our own life, but on other people's, not pointing the finger of judgment, but responding with a heart of mercy when we're wronged. To be pure in heart doesn't mean we're sinless. It's not that sort of sense. It's a sense of being single-minded, pure in our devotion towards God, not hedging our bets, not worshiping God on a Sunday, but doing something different Monday to Saturday. To be a peacemaker is someone who brings together where other people divide. Someone who doesn't feel they've got to be a defense lawyer every time they're wronged or write back every time they encounter a troll. See, it's these who thirst and hunger after these sort of qualities, being merciful, being a peacemaker, who are blessed. But again, why? I mean, why should we hunger and thirst after these things? Because I don't know about you, it can feel like, can't it, a bit of a project doomed to failure. You look at this list and you think, well, I'm not very merciful, I'm not very pure in heart, I'm certainly not a peacemaker, and it's not going to work, so I'll give up. Or we tell ourselves these things are perhaps optional extras. We're so good, aren't we? And, you know, don't hear me wrong on this. I think this is a good thing. We're so good as evangelicals, speaking about the fact that we're saved, not by our moral effort, but by God's free mercy. But so easily we translate that into God doesn't really care about what I do. But actually, there are real imperatives here about the kingdom. Well, perhaps we just have the sense of, why is this the priority? I've got so many other things to worry about, like rising bills, bringing up a family, exams coming up, sorry to mention it. But, you know, why should I worry about being a merciful or a peacemaker or pure in heart? Well, because Jesus says that these things will not be in vain. 
He says, those who are merciful will be shown mercy. Those who show God's mercy will receive it themselves. Those who are devoted to God, pure in heart, will see God. Those who are peacemakers, who don't kind of wrestle with others for some sort of status, but know their status is in God, will be called sons of God. See, it's those who put these things front and center in their lives, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, Jesus says, will be blessed. Now, this was very helpful for me, looking at this, because, you know, so often I think to myself, what am I trying to do with my life, Rob? Quite often, I don't know if this is just me, but quite often I'll sit in bed thinking, you know, what am I, what am I doing? <laughs> uh, what am I doing with my life? I've, I've been reading a book recently that's kind of asked that question, and I think to myself, well, where do I want to be at the end of my life? Well, you know, in some sense, I want to be um, having brought up a family that's pretty happy, having somewhere to live. My first answer is not this, thirsting and hunger for righteousness, being Christ-like. But Jesus says that is to be blessed. But how can we be sure that's true? Sounds all very nice, but how do we know that's going to pay off? How do we know it's worth it? Well, because of what we see finally here, because of what Jesus has obtained. See, there's a way to read these things and think to ourselves, here is a list of things that I've got to try really hard to do under my own strength and inevitably feel guilty about not doing them. There's a way to use these as a kind of sledgehammer for each other and think to ourselves afterwards, you know, are you merciful? Are you being a peacemaker? But these verses aren't there primarily to do that. They are challenging, but not in that way. They are here to encourage those who love Jesus. See, Jesus, notice he's speaking to his disciples in verse 1. And notice at the end of chapter 4, Jesus, you just have a flick over the, the verse 23 there, we read that Jesus went through Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing of every disease and sickness amongst the people. So these are a people Jesus is having compassion on. He's not taking the sledgehammer to them. He's not telling us we need to pull up our bootstraps and just try a little bit harder. He's not telling us that we need to go alone and just kind of muster up the effort. He's showing us, he's encouraging us that these things have been achieved. How do we know that? Well, because the one who spoke these words lived them and achieved them. See, Jesus had all authority in the universe. There's not one part of our world or universe that doesn't belong to him. He had every right to lord his authority over the universe he came to, but what did he do? Well, he was humble. He was meek. A bruised reed he did not break. And Jesus was perfectly righteous. He had every right to chuck the book at us in judgment. But how does he come to us? Well, with mercy, bringing peace. See, he, though, was not shown mercy. He did not inherit the kingdom, as he says here. Instead, he died under his father's judgment. He lived as an outcast of the city, but 
He did so, so that people like you and me, people who are poor in spirit, people who mourn their sin, people who uh, are meek, can inherit his kingdom. As we go through these um, passages over the next few weeks, there's going to be some really challenging stuff. There's going to be bits where Jesus holds up the the microscope to our hearts, and it's going to feel very, uh, very uncomfortable. But we need to come back to this and think, no, it's the poor in spirit who are blessed. There are probably going to be bits that challenge the whole direction of our lives, call into question how we spend our time, how we spend our resources. Well, we need to remember it's those who hunger and thirst after righteousness who are blessed. And there are parts of this that are very countercultural that we know that if we followed or even spoke about, will we get stick socially? Well, Jesus reminds us that it's those who are persecuted for his sake who are blessed. Is it worth it? Is it worth the wrestle with sin? Is it worth the investment? Is it worth the social awkwardness? Well, Jesus says, yes, it is. Blessed is this person. Because the way of loss is gain. Because seeking after righteousness is not in vain. And because of what Jesus has obtained. Our Father, we thank you so much for Jesus' promise here that these people are blessed in him. And we pray, Father, that you would help us as we look on our spiritual poverty, help us to have a right estimation of ourselves, but also help us to desire the righteousness that is ours in Christ. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for all your questions. Um, Rob, so um, let's start off uh, with one. Can you remind us what poor in spirit means again? Yeah. I know you said it, but can you say Yeah, it? sorry, I probably went a bit quick. Um, thank you for clarifying. Poor in spirit means um, to know that our spiritual bank balance is very much in the negative. Um, it's a way of talking about... Um, the fact that we don't have any claim on God and his kingdom. Is that clear enough? Yeah, yeah. So kind of knowing that we're sinful and we exactly. need Exactly, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Cool, thank you. And uh, the most popular question, how should we show meekness without being taken advantage of? Yeah, thank you. So meekness is not weakness. Um, meekness is a different characteristic to weakness. Uh, meekness is to have a, a kind of sober evaluation of our um, status. So it's the opposite. Well, we all laugh at The Apprentice, don't we, where people talk up that I'm the biggest deal since you know, The Last Apprentice, that type of thing. Um, it's kind of not that, but it's also uh, in our conduct, being humble, realizing we depend on God's mercy uh, every day. And uh, I'm sure we can all think of good examples. I can think of good examples in this church of people uh, who have come across like that. Um, It doesn't mean to be a doormat. It doesn't mean to never speak the truth. It certainly doesn't mean that. Um, And the best example of that is the Lord Jesus himself, because he's meek, and he certainly speaks the truth. He certainly um, is not afraid to be bold.
but there is a sense in which he points the glory away from himself at all times. Is it kind of the way we do it then? Sorry? The, the way we do it, the way we say what we say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just... So there's a false humility, isn't there? To go, oh, I'm, you know, I'm nothing. And, you know, so there's a right sense in which we're, we're saved and we're forgiven through the Lord Jesus, but we're pointing, at, we're pointing away from ourselves all the time to God and what he's done rather than to ourselves. Great, thank you. And um, are the things which we gain in this, are the things which we gain in this life and slash or in the next? I think, is that meant to be these things? Um, these things we gain, if it's that way, I'll take it that way. Um, a bit of both. Um, I'm, I'm, yes and yes. Um, it is uh, one of the exciting things about Jesus' kingdom that it's kind of now what it is now and not yet. So if you look over the page to chapter 4, verse... Um, ah, where am I looking? Where is it? Oh, 17. There we go. Um, 4, verse 17. Jesus says, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Uh, and by that, I think he means that it's not going to be, you know, thousands of years in the future. It's come. It's, you know, repent. There's, a, there's an immediacy uh, to this. Um, and as we go through, we see that that Jesus uh, is uh, the start of that kingdom, uh, but then actually his people become that kingdom. Um, so that kingdom is here now. You find it in the church. Uh, you find it uh, whenever Christians are in the world. Uh, but also, actually, these things are in the future as we see that kingdom come uh, visibly. Um, so, are there things in the future now? I think a bit of both. So, um, you know, if you hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will be filled. Well, I think there's a right sense, and we can say, actually, God, by his Spirit, does make us more like Christ. And it won't be in vain if we crave that sort of righteousness. But that's not the same thing as saying that we'll be the finished product and that that won't be fully realized uh, in the future to come. Thanks. That's really helpful. Now, um, we all now want to know what brand of yogurt you eat. I know that's not <laughs> what you were going for in the administration, but anyway. So, um, what does, our last question, what does hungering and thirsting for righteousness look like? Will giving up dodgy yogurt pot affirmations help? I don't know what it is about yogurt pots. I just think... I don't think it is Someone's, on mine. Sorry? I, I don't think it is on mine. They petty flues. Or, no. <laughs> oh, is um, that what... Oh, okay. You've yeah, yeah. answered that now. We no, no. Um, they wake at night worrying about that. I mean, yeah, it's not just yoga possible. It's obviously, um, you know, any... Listen to anything, you know, pretty much. It's, you know, trying to think, what's the... Because you're worth it. Because you're worth it, yeah. Who's that? Weller. Um, no, it's L'Oreal. L'Oreal, sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, 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 whatever. But, um, yeah, 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 that kind of sense. Um, so, I've lost my train of thought completely Sorry. now. Weller, um, shampoo, dodgy yogurt pot affirmations. Yes. So, yeah, if it were only that simple, we would stop eating yogurt. Uh, um, what does hunger and thirst uh, for righteousness looks like, uh, look like? Um, come back next week. Come back the week after. Come back the week after that. Because I think this sermon is precisely that. So, um, these are a bit like a headline for what's coming in the sermon. So Jesus goes on to describe that righteousness and he shows us how we get it. Um, so I think taking seriously what Jesus says here, not just think it's an optional extra or something we never achieve so we don't bother, um, listening to his words, 
Um, you know, what's it like to be hungry? I mean, uh, very few of us feel proper hunger in the West or thirst. Um, but I guess some of us have been hungry, if not all of us. We know what it's like, isn't it, to, to demolish a Nando's, you know, because we're so hungry. Do we have the same attitude when it comes to God's word and the sort of righteousness Jesus describes here? I'm not sure I do. Um, just a little sneak preview of that. Um, look over the page to 6 verse 33. Um, Jesus talks about priorities in terms of um, kind of clothing and finances, and he says, verse 33, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So there's a little indication there that actually Jesus' agenda through this whole sermon, I think, is to show us what this righteousness and his kingdom looks like. Um, but we're going to see that in future weeks. Come back next week. Come back for the f- next week and many, the ones after. Weeks. Not just next week, no. but the ones after. Yes, exactly. Thanks. Thank you. Thanks, Rob. Is that okay? Yeah. Thank you.